Yarra Libraries acknowledges the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people as the traditional owners and true sovereigns of the land now known as Yarra. We also acknowledge the significant contributions made by other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people to life in Yarra, and we pay our respects to Elders from all nations here today, and to their Elders past, present and future. Hello and welcome to a special Trans Day of Remembrance podcast from Yarra Libraries. I'm Andy, a children's and youth librarian here in Yarra, and today I'll be talking with local author Alison Evans about their experiences in creating their book, Euphoria Kids. Alison has also picked out a few of their favourite books available to borrow from our collection, ones that foreground stories of self-discovery, community and gender euphoria. We're very excited to amplify these voices and help present stories that are affirming of trans lives especially in this time, and to consider them as markers of progress in developing a broader social understanding of trans lives and our experiences. So thanks for joining me, and sit back and enjoy yourselves. Cheers. Hello, Alison. Hello, thanks for having me. It's our great pleasure. So often around uh, the time of Trans Day of Remembrance, we, of course, it's a very solemn time for, for the community. But we just wanted to take a moment to uh, platform some of the more positive ideas, some of the affirming ideas about trans identity and to help sort of cut through the, a bit of the doom and gloom that can come along with that time. And for that, we've uh, selected a, a bunch of titles that you'd like to share with us today. Yeah, I think all trans stories are important. But I think the ones that kind of have been more prevalent have been a bit doom and gloom, mm. especially the ones written by cis people. And so it's nice to talk about the funner ones. It's a good time. That's fantastic. And Alison, you're an author yourself, published a number of books. And why we've asked uh, to talk to you today most specifically uh, is your book, Euphoria Kids, aptly named. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, very on point. So <laughs> wondering if I um, wouldn't mind opening up a little about about the experience of writing Euphoria Kids and, and what you set out to do with it. Yeah, I think when I was writing Euphoria Kids, I was very conscious of the way I was taught how to write and I think how I consumed a lot of trans narratives from my childhood and teenage years and how they were quite damaging. I think one thing I was really actively trying to work against was the idea that stories are driven by conflict and I sort of wanted to really really try and write a book that wasn't necessarily driven by conflict I tried not to write any conflict in it at all which I don't think was really possible (laughs) (laughs) but I think going into it with that in mind really informed how I wanted it to be. I think also because I was quite depressed at the time, I was writing it during the marriage equality plebiscite debates, Mm. um, which was a big time for the community, big time. I was just just like, okay, I'm going to write a book with all my favourite things in it. What does that look like? And it was basically trans kids who are loved by their families. Friendship, I really wanted to write a really strong friendship story and magic and trees and shiny rocks and cups of tea. That was kind of my favourite, all my favourite things. And so I put them into a book and it kind of turned out pretty much how I imagined it, which was quite nice. It, It felt like a gift, I guess. 
It was very easy. Probably the easiest book to write so far for me. It, it's really, it's really grounded uh, in place, and I think that really comes across probably most strongly for me. I think. Um, the economy of detail that you use, but still having such such a sense of the place that the people are in uh, and the sort of responses to that uh, really mm. comes across in the writing to me. Yeah, I think I wanted to write about where I grew up. I grew up in the Dandenongs, which is Wurundjeri land, and I wanted to write about the landscape with love but not try to impose myself on it I think and I think especially when you're writing magic that can be really hard to not colonize that space as well mm. and so I tried to really make a distinction about where the magic comes from the magic doesn't come from this land like I'm not trying to impose anything on the landscape I think I just wanted to I guess write about where I grew up and how it felt growing up and mm. just write about the landscape with love because I do, I really love it. Oh, that's really special. And uh, it's one of those books that um, I find, I found difficult to, to put down, uh, but sad that it was ending. <laughs> uh, and I normally tear <laughs> on to the end of a book and, and just be like, oh, I'll get through that last quarter. Um, but I really didn't want to. <laughs> I just wanted to stay yeah. in that place. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of it was a bit almost disappointing that it was so easy to write because it was like oh it's I guess it's done now <laughs> yeah no, that's really special and they I mean it's a it's a popular idiom you know write what you know mm. and that really comes across in it does that mesh with your experience of transition or coming coming into your gender identity did you find yourself surrounded by those people and wanted to reflect that in your writing yeah, totally. I think the purest way that I could write about being trans was to make it a bit magic um, mm. because I think when you find understanding of yourself and also see that reflected in others, that is just really special. So comforting and really necessary, I think, when you are a trans person existing in this world, you have to have people who understand you and who know who you are. Otherwise, it's very isolating and I guess can make you feel like you're not real, um, <laughs> mm. which is a very, very strange feeling. And I think especially as a teenager, because my main audience is teenagers, it can be really lonely. And I think growing up before the internet, I really craved that connection. I didn't know what I was craving because I didn't have the words, but that this, the feeling of Euphoria Kids is what I wanted and did find with my friends. But I think now knowing the words and understanding myself better, I think I was missing something as a teen. And I think that's really what I was trying to do with the magic and the friendship and all that kind of stuff in the book to kind of see my feelings reflected in that. Oh, that, and that's I find that really special in the book too that it it really comes across with that sense of of authenticity that real sense of seeking authenticity in yourself and in the people around you and and that acceptance coming through as well mm, yeah and so one of the titles that you've chosen for us to share about today what's the tea by Juno Dawson uh, really brings about that sense of authenticity and is very grounded book. Uh, and quite practical book. Did you want to expand a bit on, on what brought this one across your table? 
Yeah, so I was asked to interview Juno when this book had its Australian release, and she is a trans woman in the UK. And so she has a lot of contact <laughs> with transphobia because of, I guess, the situation in the UK at the moment. And I think the thing, like when I was talking to her about this book, she really, really wanted to make it written in a way that celebrated being trans and was a way that it kind of blocks out transphobia I think in a way that is really important for young people because there's no there's no debate it's not like oh am I trans is this like oh am I allowed to be trans it's sort of just like very inviting and it doesn't block anyone out. Yeah the the sense that I got from Juno's writing is that she wants to open up the space for self-exploration and she doesn't so much censor transphobia from the picture as not centre that as the basis for understanding trans lives. It's very matter-of-fact information that she puts across and that she really trusts in the reader's intelligence to get it and figure it out for themselves. Yes, yeah. I think it's very generous in that way. It's almost like a shield, like... I think it does create a safe space for a young questioning person to approach it. And I think it's also a good resource for parents and other carers who just, you know, want to know what's happening with trans stuff. And I think it's really accessible. There's um, really nice illustrations by Sophia and they have a little comic in there as well, which is quite nice. Um, mm. Yeah, I think it's a really good resource that respects its reader, which I think is important, especially when you're talking to children and teenagers. Because it's, it's pretty punchy. Like it, uh, <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't beat around the bush is one of the, one of the big things I like about it. It just kind of tells it like it is. Mm -hmm. Like you're sitting um, down with Aunt Juno and she's telling you, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a bit tough, but it's going to be all right. <laughs> <laughs> I think we could all use an auntie like that. <laughs> Uh, and so sort of veering uh, a little bit away from the more uh, instructive, but nonetheless entertaining books, um, we have Dead Endia by Hamish Steele. Yes, that is a comic, I think, probably suitable for like kids nine or ten plus. It's a little bit spooky, um, but it's very fun. It's just about a young trans um I think he's an older teenager, I can't actually remember, but Barney works at a haunted amusement park, Dead India, and it's just him navigating the spirit world and running away from home and being accepted in friendship and finding a bit of romance. It's got it all. It's, um, it's very fun. I think it's also... A Netflix series very, very soon, which is exciting. And it's really yeah. nice to see that sort of gentle representation that it's it's not so much it's not the, the story doesn't hang on the transness or the queerness of the characters. It tends to be more just a part of the of the world that they inhabit. Yeah. Like it is I think it is important that he's trans, but it's not the main the the story's main conflict isn't driven by transition. Yes is a nice a nice broadening of trans stories. Did you find in past uh, that media often reflected that as a point of conflict rather than giving agency to the characters in their lives more fully? 
Yeah, I think like growing up, the only way that transness was ever shown to me was a lack of something or a wrongness or, you know, like something's missing. And I think that stuff can be true and sort of is true at different points in your life, I think, but not necessarily for everyone. Um, but to only focus on like gender dysphoria and like feeling weird in your own body or like um, not fitting in, I think kind of positions transness as something is wrong with you. And um, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, mm. And I think we're seeing now, especially I think with the internet and sort of everyone has more information uh, accessible to them we're seeing a more positive or even just neutral portrayals of transness and like I didn't learn what gender euphoria was until I had identified as trans for a few years um, and it's like I definitely felt gender euphoria but I didn't have the words for it I only really noticed the dysphoria because that was all that I could name and I think that's quite dangerous because um, mm. it sets you up to expect bad things and bad things happen <laughs> but like no it's not all bad it's a lot of it is good and a lot of it's just boring you know like <laughs> <laughs> we've all been in doctor surgeries for sure <laughs> they're not the most <laughs> riveting of places to be yeah yeah it's just um yeah i don't know like the way that it has been portrayed especially for a cis audience and written by cis people mm. is um a shock factor or like whoa imagine this and like <laughs> I, I don't know like my life is pretty like relaxed and uh i don't know i'm not really that interesting that's why i write books you know <laughs> <laughs> so uh now your third recommendation for books around gender euphoria you've changed gears again uh, going from a novel to a comic and now a book written in verse uh, with Vanilla by Billy Merrill. Yeah, I read Vanilla last year and I it had never come across my uh, sphere of books for some reason. And uh, it's by Billy Merrill, who is, um, I think, non-binary as well. He uses he, they pronouns. And it's mostly about these two boys... Um, two cis boys who are one of them is asexual and one of them is not and it's just kind of the asexual character realizing that they are uh, he is asexual but the third point of view in the story is a character called Angel who is quite misunderstood by the other two characters at first and through the novel kind of is exploring gender through drag and then realizes that they are maybe non-binary, maybe a trans woman, they're not really sure, but like the exploration of that identity is something that I think is really cool because I think a lot of the time there's this pressure to really, you know, like decide your gender and that's the gender that you're going to have forever. But like in this it's not really concrete and I mm. think that that's really nice because sometimes like sometimes you do go through phases and that doesn't make them any less valid it just makes them true in that moment and I think Angel doesn't really come to any conclusions but it's 
a really beautiful exploration of that, which I really enjoyed, especially in verse. I think Billy has a really nice turn of phrase that really lends itself to verse novels. And I'm excited to see what they do next because I don't know if they were identifying as not cis when Vanilla was published, and I just I just want to see more. I'm very hmm. curious. I think it would be very fun. It can often be the case that stories that we read are very fixated on arriving in a certain place, of obtaining a certain thing, and to explore someone's thoughts around ambivalence or not knowing or discovering and not necessarily having to arrive somewhere can just be a beautiful yeah. thing in and of itself. Yeah, and I think that is also something that is quite frustrating about a lot of cis-written trans stories is that once someone transitions, whatever that means, then the story's over. Hmm. That's how it ends. And it's like, well, isn't that really just the beginning? (laughs) (laughs) And I think that is also kind of what I was talking about before with transness as a lack. And then once you have achieved transition, um, as if it's some kind of finite thing, that your story's over. And Mm. I think uh, by broadening what stories are told and who's telling them, we can really see more nuanced and more real trans characters and trans stories, which I think just helps everyone. Well, that helps us segue nicely there, Alison. (laughs) The last book you've chosen comes from beyond the more broadly white stories that we've historically heard coming out of publishing. Uh, Dead Endia obviously does feature characters that are people of colour, but those experiences aren't what's being foregrounded in that story. Uh, Rather, your last selection, uh, Cemetery Boys by Aidan Thomas, is a magical story um, based on the experience of a trans person from a Latinx community. Yeah, so Aidan is a Latinx author and the actually pretty much all the characters in the book are Latinx as well. And our main character is Yadriel and he is a trans boy and he's also a brujo in training. Um, Previously, his family haven't really accepted him as being a real man. Um, So he decides to do the ritual in secret and he becomes a brujo without anyone knowing. And he accidentally meets the ghost of a hot boy, uh, (laughs) which is kind of like the the main thing in the book is that they have to hide this hot boy and then he has a crush on him and it's very stressful. But it is immersed in Aiden's own culture. And I think that is really what makes it a really beautiful book. I think it's something that own voices, um, stories really, um, really show their strength because you can see just how real Yadriel is. Like he's a character, but he is a real person. And it's just, I don't know, like the voice in it is so authentic. Yadriel is such a teen. (laughs) (laughs) And I think his journey through it is sort of realizing that he doesn't have to prove anything to his family. Like he shouldn't have to do that. And once he realizes that, he sort of becomes a lot more confident. And this is a spoiler, sorry. But after he realizes he doesn't have to prove anything to his family, um, his dad um gets it like he he understands and I think he can see what I kind of bring to it is that Yadriel sort of becomes very confident and self-assured and then his dad is like oh like 
of course, <laughs> mm. you know, and then that kind of self-acceptance leads it leads itself to more acceptance or more understanding. And I think that was quite nice to see because I think the reality is that a lot of people you meet won't understand being trans. And there is this kind of expectation that everyone will understand or they are a bad person. But I think that isn't necessarily true. Like, I think especially with family that you don't choose, sometimes people just need time to understand. Educating someone can be a really beautiful experience hmm. and it kind of will lead itself to a nicer relationship and a nicer intimacy, whatever kind of form that takes. I think, you know, as long as people are trying to understand, obviously. <laughs> yeah, coming in good faith. Yeah, I don't know. It's all about communication and I think Cemetery Boys does that really well. I think especially as a teen, you know, your parents don't understand you. It might not be a, a trans thing. It might just be something else. Mm. Um, I guess that's kind of, you know, a parent's job when you're a teenager is to not understand you, um, but love you anyway. (laughs) 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 I think by the end of Cemetery Boys, because they have communicated and talked about it, their bond does become stronger, I think, because of that, which, you know, obviously we would love every parent in the whole world to just accept and understand everything, but that's just not real. (laughs) (laughs) And I think Cemetery Boys is a really nice example of a parent coming around and understanding their son. Yeah. So I just, I think it's really neat. I really like it. So it sort of captures that sense of uh, big changes happening in anybody's life um, and sort of moving towards authenticity and understanding so that you can share in, in the life together. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you, Alison, for your recommendations. It's um, it's really lovely to hear such a diversity of, of stories uh, coming forward um, in light of Trans Day of Remembrance, uh, that as we look back on, on the battles fought and, and places that we have come from, that there's real markers of, of the sort of progress that we would hope to see uh, and that the fiction that you create and the fiction that you've recommended and, of course, the very practical guide coming from Juno, the What the Tea, um, is all sort of a bit of an upswell of, of the places and the spaces we would like transness to be and, and imaginings for it to grow into. Thanks so much for having me. It's really nice to talk about trans literature. It's my favourite thing to do. Um, and I think we are in a really exciting time where we're going to see a lot of really cool changes. And I can't wait to read every single one. (laughs) Well, that's fantastic. Thank you very much. And look forward to uh, talking to you again sometime soon. Thank you.